I want to welcome all of you again, uh, especially our visitors this morning. We're very thankful that the Lord has brought you this way. I do pray that God in his mercy will bless you while you worship with us this morning. <clears throat> if you have a cell phone, would you please check it now and make sure that it's on mute. If you uh, are visiting with us for the first time um, and you have little ones that occasionally may need to be quieted down, which is all part of training our children to be here with us, we uh, have a room right through that door in the back. You can go in there and quiet them down if you need to do so. And uh, when you have quieted them, please feel free to come back in. Uh, it takes a little while with some of our children, a little more than others, but we have watched over two decades, we have watched even very energetic children learn to sit and to hear the word of God, to sing with us, and to worship with their parents. <clears throat> I'm also very thankful that our Families do sit together, not trying to make anybody clannish. Uh, it's just when I know that when I was growing up in churches, <clears throat> the church was always fragmented. Uh, the children were always whisked away to some other teacher, to some other room, to some other authority uh, until they were in their teen years. Uh, and uh, then when they came in, they all sat with their friends in the back or in the balcony we haven't opened ours recently. <laughs> but the point is, worship is a family activity. And we do pray that each of you, I'm not saying that no one can ever go sit with friends when their parents permit, not saying that. Just saying it is a great and holy blessing to be able to sit in the presence of God with your parents who love the Lord and who walk with the Lord and who should be training and teaching your hearts how to do that. So I'm delighted to see us all, uh, generally speaking, with the ones who brought us into this world when we worship. And that being said, if your little ones do need to be quieted down, as I mentioned a while ago, you can go right in there and quiet them. Uh, we're delighted that they are here, and we're delighted that you're training them to sit in the worship, not waiting until they're 16. Secondly, if you're a nursing mother, I, I don't know that we have any that's visiting, but we have a nursing mother's room. And we do uh, encourage you to use that if you need to. We want you to, there's a, also a screen there where you can continue to follow the worship service. So we want, uh, we want everyone engaged uh, in hearing the word of God and in taking part in the service. 
That being said, we're in the epistle to the Hebrews. If you would open your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews. We're going to be reading the first four verses. As I mentioned in an earlier message, it is sometimes referred to as the exordium because this letter doesn't start like any other letter in the Bible. There's no greeting. There's no identification of the author. It just begins. And it begins like a sermon. It begins... Uh, in a most glorious way, one long sentence in the Greek, verses 1 through 4 in our English translations, but it is one long Greek sentence, setting forth truly the glory and the beauty of both the Father and the Son, primarily the Son through whom God speaks to us. He will be speaking to us this morning, <clears throat> uh, regardless of the weak and pathetic vessels of flesh that the Lord puts up here. Uh, Christ will be speaking in his word. Christ speaks to his people. So I do pray with all of my heart that he will speak directly to your heart this morning, that we will hear our God, that we will be edified that we will be built up in the faith, that we will see our needs of him and that we will cast ourselves entirely upon him by faith. <clears throat> so we're going to read this uh, exordium again. We're going to read these first four verses together. Um, if you'll stand with me once more. We stand in the presence of our blessed Savior who speaks to us through this word. And may we yield our hearts, our wills to him. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. <clears throat> o my Father in heaven, bless thy people. Bless them. Pour out of thy heavenly storehouse, out of thy heavenly treasures, pour out the blessings of Christ upon these blood-bought people. Encourage them, Lord, in the days in which we live, in these perilous 
times. I pray that that would make Christ and his precious blood more delightful, more desirable than ever before. That they will find their faith safely anchored in him. And oh God, how I pray that thy blessed spirit would lift up the hearts of the downcast, would comfort those who are distressed. Oh, righteous Father, that thou wouldst give joy to them who have been saddened. And oh God, give great praise, great worship to those who are delighting in thee this morning, who came prepared to hear thee, to love thee, to obey thee. Now, O God, may our hearts and minds be united by the power of thy spirit. O God, here is thy temple. Here is thy living temple. Here are the blessed stones that thou hast purchased with the blood of thy son. And I pray to thee, O son, blessed Christ, O head of the church, look with favor upon thy bride here. Come into thy garden. Come into the garden of spices. Come and love thy dear bride. Wash her with the water of the word. Wash away every mar, every spot. And may we all delight in thee and in one another. Speak, O heavenly Christ. In thy name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. The Holy Spirit has set seven descriptions of God's Son before us so that we might see His glory, revel in His glory, stand in awe of His glory, and hear Him when He speaks. He's here this morning. He's here every time His people gather. Where do we find Christ? When we open up the book of Revelation, among the candlesticks, his churches, he loves his churches and his presence by the spirit is always with us. And I pray with all of my heart that that blessed spirit will be working in each one of us. In each one of us. I pray that God in his mercy would speak to the lost. There are lost ones here today. If you are like blind Bartimaeus, you need to know Jesus passes by, but he often keeps going. Cry out to him. He will stand still. You will stumble your way to him. And for those of you that know him, love him. Now, the title of our message is Seven Descriptions of Christ. Almighty God. Almighty God. So, I ask that our loving Heavenly Father, our loving, our gracious, our merciful Heavenly Father will hear our prayers 
to Christ, through Christ, our intercessor, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may his word come alive to us. May we suck honey out of the rock today. If your, if your fire of love for Christ has dwindled down to ashes, may he blow upon the ashes and set every coal burning. So, our first thought this morning, and I'm, I'm going out on a limb this morning. I'm going to attempt to do all three heads before we leave. And the first one is this. I've given the most time to it, and I think it should be obvious. The reason I'm doing three is because these three all work together. They work very much together to set something before our hearts. And what it sets before us is the object of our worship. We're not here to just take in a few more Bible facts. We're here to see our God as set before us in the scriptures and to love and worship him. May our hearts rise up to worship. So this comes from verse 3. The sun is the brightness of God's glory. The sun is the brightness of God's glory. Speaking of the sun, this sacred text says, who being the brightness of his glory. Now we've learned that God appointed the sun to be heir of all things. As the sun, he has the right to everything in existence. It's his it's all his. Not only so, but he is also the almighty creator of the universe. He made everything that exists. Well, hold it. If you're thinking, it's like if... If he made everything, if he's God and he's always been God the Son, didn't he have everything already? He did as the eternal Son of God. But now we're talking about the incarnate Son. We're talking about the Son in his miraculous uniting with humanity that we call the Incarnation. It is why we call him the God-man. The God-man was given an incredible mission. A mission which he successfully accomplished. Every bit of it. <clears throat> and because of that, he was rewarded. That is why he is the heir of all things. <clears throat> so... We can put it another way now. <clears throat> there are only two categories of existence. The uncreated and the created. 
the uncreated God, the uncreated creator, and everything else. That's all there is. It is the maker and the made, M-A-D-E. So, as we learned last time, God is. He has no beginning. He has no end. God is. Everything else becomes. Everything becomes. Everything else has a beginning. Everything else changes. So, while those are both staggering thoughts and worthy of our meditation, the next two descriptions of the sun, rather I should say the next three, enter the realm of incomprehensible. We can understand an air a little bit because we understand something about the fact that someone passes away and they leave everything to their son or to their daughter or to their children and break it up among them. That's something our minds understand at least a little bit. And so we have something to hang on. <clears throat> it's, it's the same thing with the issue of creation not that we fully understand creation, but because we're made in the image of thing, uh, of God, uh, we can take things and make something out of them. Now, we can't make something out of nothing. Only God can do that. But there is that creative part of every human being because God is the creator. They may sit down and paint a beautiful picture or they may build a stunning home, or whatever uh, the gifts that someone has. Some people can write uh, so beautifully. Some of us can barely finish a sentence. But we understand a little bit the idea of creation. We see a building going up. We watch the ground cleared off. We see a foundation laid. Then we see the studs and all, and the and the... The, the walls go up and we see the joists and we see the roof and sooner or later there's a house there. We understand creation a little bit, just a little. But these next three things about Christ, we don't have anything, to my knowledge, that we can hang our mental hat on. We... we we see some extraordinary things here. And I do mean that. It is the realm of incomprehensible. So first of all, the sun is the brightness. The brightness. The Greek word translated brightness can have a passive or active meaning. The passive sense, number one, means reflection. That means brightness shining back from a surface. Perhaps you've been driving and you look up in your rearview mirror and the sun happens to hit that mirror. And what happens? The reflection nearly blinds you. <clears throat> That's reflection. That's passive. <clears throat> Secondly, the active sense is Radiance, reflection, and radiance. 
passive, active. Another word, by the way, for radiance is effulgence. How many of you have heard that word before? How many? <laughs> That's why I bring it up. Uh, uh, is it's a word that means the same thing essentially as radiance. If you read uh, the Puritans, if you read uh, any of the, the really good writers uh, that I know of from the uh, Reformed uh, tradition and from some of the others, you will occasionally hear the word effulgence, effulgence, and it means light radiating from a source. That's why we say it's active. It's not something that's reflecting and bouncing back. It is something that's coming directly from the source. <clears throat> and while the passive reflection and the active radiance are both possible, it seems that the active sense of radiance fits the context better. Now, uh, good commentators are divided on this. So um, all I can say is that uh, it changes the meaning a little bit. Uh, if, we, if we took the passive, it would simply mean that, that God's glory reflects, so to speak, off of Christ. But if we talk about the active, the radiation of that light from a source then we're actually pointing toward Christ's nature. We're talking about His nature, and in His nature as a source, He sends forth light. Is He not the light of the world? So, light radiating from a source, at least in my mind, comes closer to capturing what I believe is being said in the text. So the Son of God is the brightness of His Father's glory. Now, what does that mean? Let's take that up. The Son is. This is what He is. He is the brightness of His Father's glory. The word glory is one we use all the time, and yet <clears throat> I know it would be difficult sometimes for us if someone looked us right in the eye and said, please define glory for me. That might be a little difficult. <clears throat> we, we use certain words because we're familiar with how they're used, but it doesn't mean that we always know how to define it. it happens all the time. <clears throat> we use it because we hear a doctor say it. <laughs> Cardio ablation. I can say it. I can say that my wife is going to have one. Now explain it. Uh, that's a little more difficult. Right. I can pass it on, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I know exactly what it is and how to define it and explain it to you. Now, <clears throat> it's the same with glory. It's, one, it's kind of like a part of the accessories of Christian language. We hear glory. Glory. We have people say it. As, an ex, as, as a, 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 sound, a, a word of excitement. 
Glory. Especially if you're from the South. Glory. Now, it also means that you could say, oh, I saw his glory. Well, what does that mean? What is it that we saw? Oh, Christ is so glorious. What do we mean by that? Do we just mean he's really excellent? What's that? What does it mean? So, the English word glory is from the Greek doxa. Doxa, from which we derive doxology. And doxa comes from the Hebrew word kavod. Kavod, which originally meant weight, heaviness. That's the idea. Then, because of that meaning, it began to express abundance, wealth. Somebody's got a lot of stuff. They are laden with wealth. It took on the meaning of a weight of honor. We look at some people with greater honor than we do others. There's a weight to that. There is a gravitas. There is a, a sobriety in that. So it, it came to mean the weight of honor. <clears throat> it means the weight, the heaviness of respect for someone. <clears throat> and then... It came to mean the kingly majesty which belongs to a supreme ruler. So we would speak of his glory or we could even address him as your glory because he's a higher ruler, someone to whom we should show our respect and we should submit to his authority. So, it also came to mean surpassing excellence. Surpassing excellence. And it's used several ways like this and some of the others that I've mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, finally, when we get into the New Testament, the word doxa, glory, pretty much picks up where kavod leaves off. And it, it, it means the same thing. It describes God's transcendent being. Now, very often in our culture, the only time we hear transcendent is uh, with Eastern religion, transcendental meditation, or things like that. But the idea of transcendent means beyond the range of normal human experience. Something that rises up higher than what we experience day by day. It is something beyond us. And God is beyond us. So when we speak of his glory, we are talking about something by which he transcends normal human experience. That's why there are terms for him in scriptures like the most high. 
Nothing is close to God. He is the most high. There's no second place that comes near. He is exclusive. He is high and lifted up. Isaiah 6. He transcends the mundane. What's going on right here. So. Kingly majesty which belongs to a supreme ruler. And in this case God. A ruler who transcends. Actually, our understanding. So glory, let's, let's try to define God's glory. Now, this is going to fail, but this is the best I can give you to think about. Because we're trying to describe that which is above us. It seems like every attempt that we make to try to describe him in our terms, all we successfully do is bring him down to our level. He's God. That's why we started with six messages about him. So, if glory is this weight, this treasure, this excellence... This transcendental treasure and being, glory is the radiant outshining, the radiant outshining of his splendor, majesty, and perfections. It is bright. God, the, the scriptures tell us God is Light. He is bright. No one could see him and live. He is light. So his glory encompasses this outshining, this radiant, this dazzling outshining of his Splendor, all of what he is, his majesty, his perfections, and his son is the light radiating from the Father as source. That is the Son, Jesus Christ is the radiant outshining of his father's splendor, his father's majesty, his father's perfections. As the apostle John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh. Listen, and the word that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In other words, 
If you want to see God in human flesh, you have to see Jesus Christ. You have to know Jesus Christ. You say, well, where, where do I see him? Well, we don't see him with our visible eyes in this day. We come to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And by the power of the Spirit, we feed our hearts and our souls with that Christ. Because as we look at him, as we watch him speak, as we watch him touch the sick and heal them, as we watch him raise the dead, as we watch him in everything that he does and everything that he says, whether he's speaking privately or whether he's preaching, we're seeing what God looks like in the flesh. Not in his nature as deity, but in his love for us. The Son took on humanity so that we could see what we were made to live like. Why? Because we don't know how to live as God made us. That's why. When we look at him, he didn't say, well, now I'm going to do all this stuff. Y'all can't do it. So just look and admire. He didn't say that. Everything that he said was, look at me. This is what humanity should have been. Adam was made in my father's image, but he went his own way. And every day we eat the bitter fruit of Adam going his own way. Because we follow our fleshly uh, forebear unless God in his mercy grants us his grace in Jesus Christ who gives us a new heart, who draws us by the power of his spirit into his kingdom and helps us to live, are you ready? Supernatural lives. Satan will fight that with everything he's got. Are you listening? The minute you start showing real life, you have Satan's target on your back. On your back, on your children if you have any, on your children when you have some, on you. We are in a war. If you don't wake up to that, I can tell you you're, you're living like a prisoner. This is serious. But you see, that's why we need that Christ of glory who came to us. He came down to us and gave us his word. The revelation is here. He spoke every single thing he said. He said because his father said, say that. Jesus testifies to that. He's given me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. The words that I'm speaking to you, they're his words. That means we need to listen. We need to listen to him very carefully. If we say, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. 
I used to have a patch that said that. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I serve and love the God-man. He tells me what to do, and I love it. He didn't just give me a get-out-of-jail-free card. He saves me, and he teaches me how to walk with him. You can't read the Gospels without getting that. Same thing with Paul. Paul could even say, all right, now follow me as I follow Christ. There's a way to live. It's all in here. YouTube's not going to tell you. Well, you might get a, a really good preacher on that, but it won't be YouTube itself. We've got to have Christ. Christ. The transcendent Christ. We're supposed to hear the transcendent Christ. Why? Because God spoke in former times through the prophets, but now he speaks to us through the Son. Okay, let's press on a little bit. As the Holy Spirit says in our text, God has spoken to us by his Son, who being, who being he is, who being the brightness of his glory. How impressively, how majestically that is set before us in the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, I urge you to hear Brother Randy's sermon from a few weeks ago where he did a good job sitting before us. Chapter 16 and chapter 17 of Matthew and how they relate. In Matthew chapter 17 verse 2 and verse 5 Jesus was transfigured before them, the disciples. Something happened. He took these disciples and these alone up into this mountain. And then before them, he was transfigured. He was changed supernaturally. They saw something that no one had ever seen. And what does it say? He was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Bright. Are we getting the picture of a light? Light. Light. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, the transfigured one. Luke tells us that uh, the disciples were heavy and were trying to doze off. They seemed pretty good at that. Happens sometimes in church, doesn't it? You don't have a transcendent being in front of you this morning. As one great Puritan preacher said, you can sleep on me, but you can't sleep on God's word. So hear God's word. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
What does it say? Hear ye him. Hear him. Brethren, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is holy commentary on what the Hebrews writer is saying to us. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Here is God, the father, commanding from heaven that the disciples hear Jesus. Now, what, what else was going on in that picture? Elijah was there. Moses was there, held in the highest esteem of the Jews. But as this vision progresses, they disappear. They disappear. When everybody comes out of it, they look and there's just Jesus. That's who God told them to hear. That's a good place to stop and ask a question. Do I? Do you hear Jesus? Do you hear the one whose name you're wearing as Christian? Do you hear him? Let me put it another way. Does he tell you what to do? That's fighting words in our culture, right? Ain't no preacher going to tell me what to do. I'll tell you what. There's a son that's going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do what he says in this world, you will do, and this will be the last thing you'll hear from him. Depart from me. I never knew you as he cast them into hell. There's either hearing the son or there's destruction in your silence. Now, that's sobering. But God commanded from heaven, this is my son. This is the one. Hear him. That was prophesied in Deuteronomy. We don't have time to go back and do that. I would love to look at it. But God said, I'm going to raise up, Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet just like you. And I'm going to put my words in his mouth. Jesus says that while he's on the planet, like I said a while ago. He said, you know, what I should say, what I should speak. That's what my father tells me. I mean, you know, <laughs> we'd be in teen court if, if uh, a young person ever said in public, I don't say anything except what my dad tells me. Is that right? They'd put him under the jail. The judge would help them. Right? But wait a minute. We've got a father here telling his son absolutely everything he's going to do, including going to the cross and dying after torture. God said, hear him. Hear him. While hearing Christ in everything is important, this context is more specific than just hearing Jesus in general. It includes that. But there's something specific here. Luke tells the story just slightly different. And he gives us a couple of details that Matthew doesn't. Luke chapter 9 verse 31 speaks of Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory. And spake of his decease which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. That's what they were talking about. 
We don't have any words from the dialogue, but we know it was this. We know the plan. We know that you're the one. And you're the one that's going to go to the cross in Jerusalem. All right? Now, God has spoken to us by his son. And his son plainly told us of his death. Matthew 16 told us plainly of his death, of his resurrection, and his ascension in Jerusalem. Six days before, Peter had rebuked Jesus for saying such things as Matthew 16 tells us. Peter resisted what Jesus said. Is it any surprise that he's in the group that was taken up on top of the mountain and God commanded him, hear him. Peter wasn't listening. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. We're going over there. And I'm going to die. They're going to turn me over to the Gentiles. They're going to spit on me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to hang me on a cross. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. He's just said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he said, hey, don't, uh, don't talk about that stuff. That's not going to happen. He went from being the one who understood to falling into complete darkness. Why? Because he didn't hear Jesus. I, as others, believe that's exactly why Peter was in that group, because Jesus was going to use Peter. Peter had to be told what to do. Hear him. And so what, what are Elijah and Moses talking about? The very thing that Peter denied. Central to Jesus Christ is his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into glory. We can call heaven glory. That weighty place of transcendent treasures and the brightness and beauty of God. Oh, well, so Matthew 16 tells us, and Elijah and Moses talked with Jesus about it, but then the Lord faded them out and just left Jesus there, having, been, having commanded those disciples, hear him. From that time forth, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Peter rebuked Jesus for this. Rebuked the one he just called the Christ. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father commanded, Hear ye him. Now, why is Christ's radiance then? Why is it so important? Why is the epistle, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, why is he talking about Jesus being the brightness of God the Father's glory? Well, it means that the sun is the radiant light of God's glory. That is the equivalent of God's Shekinah glory. Some pronounce it Shekinah. 
<clears throat> I hear both of them. But generally speaking, I hear Shekinah. Exodus chapter 3 verse 2 reveals that the angel of the Lord appeared unto Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For those of you that have been in the Wednesday sermons on Galatians. This is the language of covenant. God covenanted with each and he renewed it. He made a covenant with Abraham. He renewed it with Isaac. He renewed it with Jacob. Exodus chapter 24 verse 17 says, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. It scared them to death. They said, turn us off. Moses, you go talk to him. We're trembling and shaking. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon made an end of praying in dedicating the temple, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house the glory the glory the radiant outshining of his perfections something above us transcendent the ultimate of supernatural God himself God's presence it filled the house and when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. And what did they do? Worshipped. That's why you keep hearing me repeat. We're looking at the object of our worship in the first four verses of Hebrews. When we start understanding what we're reading, the very least of what should be happening is our worship. Praising Him magnifying him, realizing he is set apart from everything wicked, set apart to everything pure and righteous and holy. They bowed themselves, they worshiped, and they praised the Lord God is light. And Paul gave testimony to his conversion saying that on the road to Damascus at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light, a light from heaven, a light above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. That isn't just, oh, well, interesting. Bright light hits him. It's saying he's in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God. And we are right now. Light from his word is shining on us. We're taking it in. Oh, we're not. Paul asked who it was that spoke to him. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Wait a minute. Light, God, 
Jesus. That's the importance. This whole idea of God's presence in the Shekinah glory. The glory that was in the the tabernacle. The glory that came down on the temple. The glory that came down and consumed the fire. When Elijah was with the Baal worshippers. All of this fire, all of this bright and blinding light, it's God. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's not going to be, there's not going to be any night in heaven. Have you read that? It says, the Lamb and the Father, they're the light of that place. Eternal, pure glorious light when the author of hebrews writes he is the brightness of his glory he's telling you jesus is god jesus is true deity he's not a hippie he's not he's not a guy with dreadlocks who loves to just jam He's being presented that way in numerous places, even today. Oh, and, and, and they have all kinds of, there's all kinds of Jesuses out there. I'm not just picking on one. I don't have time to go through the whole list of false Jesuses that are out there. But it's being fed to people day in and day out. Now, if you want to see the living Christ, we're not going to see him with our eyes in this world till he returns. But we can see him right here in the unchanging words that he spoke. And that's not just, quote, the red letters in your Bible. It is God that gave us the scriptures, all approved of, and the contents are Christ Jesus. Jesus is the brightness, the brightness of his glory. When you're seeing him, when you understand him, you were realizing you're dealing with Almighty God. He's not your buddy. He's not just your fishing pal. He's God. He is King. He is Lord. He rules. For a while, one of the big things to say about someone, you know, we, we change our words, you know, when we're talking about things that are excellent. Cool has never gone away. That's still here. But we always talk about certain things that are excellent and they they would say uh, for a good while oh yeah man you rule Uh, actually I don't neither do you Christ rules at all times in perfect holiness that glorious Christ that holy one this is your God if you profess to be a Christian for those of you that do not I plead with you with all my heart Chase him. Believe him. Come to him in this book and bow down. God has commanded, hear him. What's he say? Oh, he says a lot of things. But how about this? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. To turn down God's call is eternal suicide. Now, 
Puritan William Googe describes the relationship between the father and the son so beautifully that I must quote it in full. I trust you will forgive me if you don't like long quotes. I trust it will not be too long, but I hope that what you find here is something wonderful that would encourage your soul as it did mine. Now, he's a Puritan. You'll have to hang in there just a little bit. But this is what he says. Quote, No resemblance taken from any other creature can more fully set out the mutual relationship between the father and the son. He wants to set before us the S-U-N in the sky and its radiant outshining. He, he says, and I agree with him, most of the times when we try to make a human uh, illustration of God, we fail just by nature. We don't, we don't know him. We don't know what he looks like. We, don't, we have no idea what spirit is. A spirit that fills the entire universe knows everything and has all power. What comes to your, your mind? It should just be blowing fuses. So, here's what Googe says. That no resemblance taken away, uh, taken from any other creature, something created, can more fully set out the mutual relationship between the father and the son. For, number one, the brightness issuing from the son is of the same nature that the son is. All right? He's saying something theologically sound. The, the, the light, the, the brightness, the sun, S-O-N, is the same nature from the source that it comes from. <clears throat> the sun, you remember, is begotten. The S-O-N is begotten. Number two, it is, of, it is as long continuance as the sun Never was the sun without the brightness of it. In other words, as long as it's the sun, it shines. And as long as God the Father is God the Father, his son is the light of the world. He is light. He is the shining. He is the brightness of his Father. Number three, this brightness cannot be separated from the sun. The sun may as well be no sun as have that brightness thereof severed from it. In other words, while they're separate, they are not separated ever. The Father and the Son are two subsistences within the nature of the Holy Trinity. We're on Trinitarian ground here. I trust all of you see that. Number six, or number five, this brightness comes naturally. Uh -uh. Number four, this brightness is from the sun, not the sun from it. The father doesn't come from the sun. The sun comes from the father <clears throat> in some eternal way. Number five, this brightness comes naturally and necessarily from the sun, not voluntarily and at pleasure. It's natural. It is a natural, eternal relation. The Father and the Son. That's the idea. Six, the Son and the brightness are distinct, each from the other. The one is not the other. They're of the same substance. They're never separated, but they are Father 
and son. And we recognize them by their titles and by what they've done. The father did not hang on the cross. The son did. Seven, all the glory of the sun is in this brightness as it shines forth. It's glorious. And we see the glory of the sun. We've been getting a lot of that in the sun here, haven't we? I mean, man, it's been hot. There have been cloudless skies often. And this incredible burning eye up there in the sun. You can't stand and look at it. Your eyes are shot after you've done that. And that's just a creation. The living God is the, is, uh, makes the glory of the sun like nothing. But all the glory of the sun is this brightness. In other words, if you want to see the S-U-N, the only thing you can see are the beams of its light. Meaning, you can't see the Father. But you can see the sun. That's why he became man. That's the love of God. That is the amazing grace of God. Number eight, the light, the light which the sun giveth to the world is by this brightness. How distinctly and clearly doth this metaphor set out the great mysteries of our Christian faith concerning God the Father and the Son. For they are, one, of one and the same essence, two, co-eternal, three, inseparable, four, the Son is from the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, five, the Son is begotten of the Father by nature, not by will, favor, or good pleasure. The person of the one is distinct from the other, for the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father. The in, number seven, the incomprehensible glory of the Father most brightly shineth forth in the Son. I go back to what I said a while ago. Do you want to know God? You have to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. He is the door. He's the one through whom we walk. To come into the presence of almighty God. It's all in Christ. Eight. All that the father doth in relation to creatures. He doth by the son. As in these respects. Christ is fitly and justly styled. Brightness. So in regard of his surpassing excellence. He is said to be. The brightness. Of his glory. the sun and its rays captured for our little minds the idea of the sun who is the brightness by which we see. Well, my optimism is crushed again. Well, I'm going to stop. Don't want to. Because I had three applications that I wanted to give you. <clears throat> and they won't make sense without the other two heads. I will say this. Number one. Under applications. 
what's one of the things we learned then from this? What, what, do we, what can we take away? Well, here's one of them. The old covenant scriptures are still important, are still an important part of God's revelation. But we must understand them in the light of Christ, the Son who fulfills and interprets them. I'll say that again. The Old Covenant Scriptures are still an important part of God's revelation. But we must understand them in the light of Christ the Son who fulfills and interprets them. If you want to understand some of those strange parts of the Old Testament, very often they're connected and made alive to us when we understand the ministry and the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly then, since I didn't get to my other two points, what I do want to press your mind with your conscience is this. God the Father commanded Jesus' disciples, those that were with him on top of the mountain, he commanded them to hear him, hear the Son. And those disciples went and wrote holy scriptures. So we still have the revelation. What was it about? It was about Jesus going to Jerusalem and dying upon Calvary's cross to shed his blood to save his people from their sins. He hung upon that cross bearing all the fury and the wrath of God the Father for sinners such as I and such as you. He bore all their sins. That's what Christ, that's what Messiah came to do. And then he rose again the third day, conquering death. He rose again the third day, showing that God the Father had received his glorious sacrifice for the sins of his people. In other words, all the sins of all of his people for all eternity were paid for by Christ Do you hear that? Hear him if you never have. He said, come to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will. I will. He's not a liar. All men are liars, the scripture says, but not Christ. Come to him. He will save. That's what Moses and Elijah were talking with him about. His death, his resurrection, his ascension into glory. This is why I wanted to do all three of these today, because next week I wanted to get to when he had finished purging our sins. He sat down at the Father's right hand. But we shall leave that to the Lord's calendar. So, my friends, God the Father has commanded us to hear his Son. I pray that you do. If you do not, I pray that you will. 
Look at Christ in this. Look at his promise in the gospel. And come to him with all your heart. Repent of your sins. Believe on the crucified and resurrected God-man. The one who is the brightness of his father's glory. Amen. Oh, Father, come. Thou didst appear on that mountaintop in great power and light. The disciples were scared witless. But when it was all over, it was Jesus and they. Lord, those men went on to serve the Lord Christ and to write holy scriptures that set before us the very command of God from heaven. Here's my son. Hear him. Oh, Father, for those who are lost here today, may the sweetness of, of his call come to their hearts. Come to me. Come to me. I am light. I am life. I am the Savior. I am the crucified one. I am the risen one. I am the ascended one. I am the seated in heaven one, interceding for my people. Oh, laid upon the hearts of the lost to trust thee, O Christ. And Father, for thy dear people, I pray thou wouldst encourage their souls, build their faith, and help them to be light by living in and speaking of Christ, the light of the world and the brightness of his Father's glory. And I pray it in his name. Amen. (coughs) If you would please stand with me. I think it fitting to close with that wonderful benediction at the end of Hebrews. I will do that uh, throughout these messages, God willing. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have our third of the month meal together. For those of you that will be departing, we do pray that the Lord will bless you throughout the rest of your Lord's Day worship. To those of you staying, may the Lord wonderfully bless your time of fellowship and we pray his blessings upon our Q&A at 2 o'clock. Let's be dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus. The deacons will tell us when they're ready for us to eat back there. Let's go in his name.